Heads up, listener. The bulk of this episode talks about the concept of sexual assault. If you're not ready to hear that, we get it. Next week, Kristen will be back with a less triggering episode. You've probably heard some version of these stats, but every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And according to Rain, 54% of these people are between the ages of 18 and 34. And depending on the source, 10 to 20% of men will experience sexual violence at some point in their life. So chances are, if you're listening to this, you or someone you love has been impacted by this issue. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. I'm the founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. And I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I'm a survivor of sexual assault. For a while, I just didn't talk about it because talking about it hadn't gone super well in the past, if I'm being honest. When I was 16, it happened. So I didn't want to go to therapy because I just wanted it to go away so I could go on being a teenager. But that is not how trauma works, my friends. Brene Brown said, shame needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And did I have those things in droves? But when I'd realize it was affecting me, I'd share that thing with the wrong people or without the language I actually needed to express myself. And I would see their eyes dart around. No one knew what to say. And I'd think to myself, okay, noted, we do not talk about rape. So eventually I just stopped talking about it. And that's the paradox of sexual violence. It's something that feels like it belongs in the shadows of your past, but the longer you leave it there, the harder it is to deal with. Victims often face symptoms like PTSD, chronic pain, and higher instances of substance abuse. And that's why we were so happy to meet the young changemakers behind the platform Receptify. Receptify is working to solve the problem of sexual violence at college campuses. And according to Rain, women ages 18 to 24 who are college students are three times more likely than women in general to experience sexual violence. And on today's episode, you'll hear from Ryan Manthe, who is the CEO of Receptify. You might not hear it in his voice, but he's a sophomore in college studying computer science at the Illinois Institute of Technology. And his entire team is made up of college students who've experienced this problem either firsthand as survivors or as a friend of a survivor. And they've all had to navigate the system of resources and wanted to create a better way. Receptify, I should note, is also the winner of a Sweat Life's Sweatworking Summit pitch competition. So we were so proud to host Ryan today. Here I am with Ryan. This is Gina Anderson, Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life, and I am here with Ryan Manthe, who is the co-founder of Receptify. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about what we've been working on. And we are finishing up our month of mental health deep dives with you, with Receptify, uh, for a few reasons. One, because Receptify won a Sweat Life's pitch competition that we held during our Sweat Working Summit. Uh, And two, because the problem you're solving is a huge problem for mental health for humans, particularly at one pain point, which is college. But before we jump in, let's talk about Receptify and how it came to be. Yeah, so um, just to kind of start out, I can explain what Receptify is. Uh, with Receptify, what we're trying to do is build a platform for recovery and communication for students on college campuses who've experienced sexual violence. Um, kind of what that means is when a student is sexually assaulted in college, there's a lot of different resources that universities have to provide for those students. There's 
something called Title IX, which a lot of people associate with gender equality in sports. But now what it means to a lot of students is a team of people that assists with uh, providing sexual violence uh, incident responses on campus. They have those, they have an office of health and wellness, and they've got to support the mental wellness of students who, in all cases, but also a sexual violence, as well as a couple of other departments. Um, but something that we noticed is that when a student's sexually assaulted, it's not clear where they go to access this kind of information. And so our goal was really to create one central location. So that way we bring all the stakeholders that could assist a sexual violence survivor to one point. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like a whisper network too, if you if you go through it. It's kind of like you whisper that it even happened for the first time and you might say it to the right person and they might be able to help you. And it's just, there just aren't that many chances that you'll get it right. So it's it's dramatically underreported. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, statistically speaking, four out of five sexual violence survivors on college campuses don't report uh, instances of sexual violence to university administrators. And that's something that we really want to change. We recognize, unfortunately, that there's kind of a culture of permissiveness, we think, to sexual violence in many cases. We've seen that in the Me Too movement. Um, we've seen that kind of permeated throughout our culture. And so I think that the best thing that we can do is support survivors in coming forward and telling their stories. I am a survivor of sexual violence myself, so this is something that's really important to me. And I struggle to be able to tell my story. And so and I know that's true of a lot of people on my team. People are working on this. They've either experienced it personally or they know somebody close to them who's experienced sexual violence. Um, and it's really hard to come forward. And so we are hoping that by building the software, we can create those avenues to anonymously communicate with people, anonymously communicate with the right people. So that way you can get access to the, the mental health care and the kind of justice resources that you need and deserve. Yeah, I, I know when we first met, Ryan, uh, you were actually pitching in a different pitch competition. Um, it was The Forge, um, which I had the the privilege of, of judging and being a part of. Um, and I absolutely was taken with your presentation. I think I was your preliminary judge. Is that right? Yeah, you were one of the uh, the consulting people. Oh, yeah. I, I think that was the title that they gave or something to that effect. And you gave us advice on our pitching and on on our strategy kind of going forward. I think that was the yeah, that was the first time that we had met. And that was that was a cool experience. Yeah, I kept I kept my eyes on you. <laughs> <laughs> and after after the you kind of gave your pitch and shared, I I also shared that I am a survivor of sexual assault as well. I've talked about it on this podcast, I've talked about it on a sweat leaf, but it took me um, almost as many years as I had not been a survivor, as I had been a survivor to talk about it. So I was 16 when it happened. I'm 36 now and I finally started talking about it when I was 35, um, which is very much like a lot of people's stories because you live kind of in in the shadows with this. So talk to me about, I know that you had a specific, you've talked about it in your pitch. Um, you had a specific incident with a friend um, where you were trying to help that person. Can you, Do you feel comfortable speaking about that? Yeah, I can, I can speak to that one a little bit. So my uh, my freshman year of college, I had a, a close friend and at her university, she was sexually assaulted on campus and she didn't really know what to do or where to go. And to be honest, neither did I or any of our other friends, but we all wanted to help her. And so we went to great lengths to find 
what those resources were. And that was really where we got to experience, unfortunately, the pain points of Title IX and sexual assault incident response on college campuses. Um, and and it, was, it was very difficult for, for her and for everybody involved. Um, and so, I mean, I can, I can speak to that a little bit. And there's a half million people a year who are sexually assaulted on college campuses, which is an astronomical number. And each one of those people has to go through this process and it's painful. There's not a lot of direction. Uh, and that's, that's something that we're really looking to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know one thing that we've talked about a bit is, is sort of wanting to provide access and people to go to. Um, and that's why you're starting with college campuses, because it is a big problem on college campuses, but it happens a lot of other places. So let's let's talk about Receptify and the solution you're creating um, and and where you want it to go, where you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. So we're not really sure about what our long-term vision is. We know we want to support sexual violence survivors, and that is the kind of beating pulse throughout our, our company and all the people that are involved in it. Right now, we're looking to pilot our software, and so um, we're going to be doing that at my school, Illinois Tech, uh, hopefully next year. And the goal behind that is to figure out, are we doing things that are going to work for student survivors mm-hmm. um, and ultimately things that are going to work for survivors? Is our response process going to change outcomes? Um, and so by creating a pilot, we can use it as sort of a proof of concept. And we think we're going to learn a lot there about what the future might hold. And the long-term vision is to be able to support as many sexual violence survivors as possible. You know, we are, as you mentioned, we are starting on college campuses because there are already so many resources that are there and we want to connect them to pre-existing resources because Mm -hmm. it's a whole lot easier to connect resources that already exist than to create resources up from the ground up. Um, And ultimately, we could potentially be doing that elsewhere. And so that's that's kind of our our long-term vision. But uh, we know that that's something that's going to come from learning from from uh, from our process. Mm-hmm. And one thing you spoke to a lot at a Sweat Life's pitch competition was wanting to avoid re-traumatizing people. Um, so I think there are two two things I want to talk about first. One is the speed at which someone comes forward, talks about it, and or gets the help they need dramatically impacts their healing. Um, and that's that's a stat that you talked about. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so something that's really important about being able to heal and kind of recover, speaking to re-traumatization sort of first, is making sure that the survivor is in control of their situation. Because you think about what does it mean to be re-traumatized? It's sort of a vague, ambiguous thing that that can be you know challenging to think through. But what it means is that when a survivor reaches out to people who are in positions of power, who are capable of delivering justice and delivering resources, often a lot of it is out of their control. They're going to be required to tell their story over and over again, which is re-traumatizing. And on top of that, they're not you know, choosing the pathway that they want to take. And so ultimately that's, that's what we want to kind of solve is, is create that pathway for survivors. So that way they can Mm -hmm. know what point A to point B to point C is. And then they can say, maybe I'm not ready for point C and I want to move on. Um, And I, I want to go on to something else. But at the end of the day, ultimately what this is about is enabling survivors to be in control of their own recovery process. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that I, I think 
this tool gives people the resources to just know what to do because it is so common. Um, I remember when it happened to me, I was, I was 16. Uh, and I've told you this story before. We literally had to look through a phone book to find like where to call and who to talk to. And the only reason I even looked in a phone book is because my, my friend from my hometown, my, um, my friend, Brittany, had essentially said, like, we've got to look up, like, a rape crisis center. And so that was, we looked up a phone number and called them, and they told us the steps, essentially, from there. And there was a volunteer <laughs> on the phone who who talked me through the steps, um, which is, that was, like, such a high barrier to entry. You know, like, phone book, phone call, <laughs> talk to someone, take an action. Um, and I actually did take an action because I, I remember having this feeling of like, I can't let this motherfucker <laughs> get away with it, you know? And the, even having like gone through all the steps and, and the steps I'm talking about, what it's you have to go to an emergency room. You have to go through a process. Um, and I'm going to make sure to put a very strong trigger warning on this episode, but you have to go through a process called a rape kit. Um, and if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to tell you today, um, but it is like the most re-traumatizing part of the process. Um, and so I went through all of that. And even after that, I, I was coerced by a police officer to drop the charges, um, even though there was evidence, uh, it, because I was encouraged by this person to move on with my life because I'd be called a liar. <laughs> and so as a 16 year old, you're like, I guess you're right. Like, I guess you're right. Um, so I, but for me, I was like, I never got over that part. <laughs> the person that, in power. Go ahead, Ryan. That is, I, I was just going to say, that is such a challenge that's so ubiquitous. Yep. The idea that somebody comes forward and they get pressured into either withdrawing the charges or they're not even able to go forward with charges because that evidence wasn't collected quickly enough because mm -hmm. there was no way of knowing how to collect evidence. I mean, for a lot of people when they experience some kind of sexual violence, they don't they don't know what their next steps are. And even if they do, like you said, it's, you know, are you going to proceed with these charges? Because if you do, then you're gonna to go to trial. And when you're at trial, you are going to get lambasted and mm -hmm. called a liar. And, you know, that is additionally a re-traumatizing barrier that, you know, prevents a lot of sexual violence survivors from seeking justice. And I, I think speaks to, again, like I talked to earlier, that culture of permissiveness to sexual violence. Yeah. Uh, leaning, leaning on the victim to essentially have to provide all the evidence. What a fun world. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible that it is that way. And, and I know for us, it's about figuring out how do we change that? How do mm -hmm. we change outcomes for, for people who are experiencing sexual violence? Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting too that, okay. So on your team, Ryan, can you speak to me about sort of who else is on your team um, and, and your unique skills and the fact that you're doing this in college? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we are all college students working on this. So mm -hmm. we range from being sophomores. I'm a sophomore in college to uh, um, Ursula is finishing up her, her co-terminal master's degree. So she's uh, she's just graduating with her undergraduate graduate. Um, but we've got a really broad set of people. So a lot of CS people uh, are on our team. So we've got a team of four people who are working on the development. I know you've met Sean and Stanley. Um, mm -hmm. 
And then we've also got Ursula Hirsch. Ursula is the COO and she's got a background in public policy. She's actually done a lot of research in public health um, as an undergraduate uh, and healthcare accessibility. Um, additionally, she brought the Women's Center to IIT. So she was very instrumental in that. She co-founded a women's organization. That's one of the strongest organizations on our campus, has more than 80 members. And so we've got a background of people who have technical skills and then also people who have a lot of non-technical and kind of social impact skills. Um, and so that's something that I really enjoy about our team. And I think what we're building together is, is a product of that. The fact that we've we've been able to get to the stage that we're at. And I, I like to stay where we're at step one or two of the thousand. So, but, but we're, uh, we're moving forward because we have that diverse team. Mm -hmm. And um, so one of the things that I talked to you about when we first met um, was the choice to share your story um, when you give pitches, which I commend you for that because it, it takes a lot. Um, has that been challenging for you or has that been empowering for you? Yeah, I, I actually want to speak to that moment because at the time I was fine telling one or two people, especially people I didn't really know when we first met, you know, we were strangers. I didn't mind telling that story, um, yeah. the story that I've, I've experienced. Um, but I think it's, it's something where I've had to grapple with it a lot, where mm -hmm. it's had its ups and downs. The first few times that I said it, saying it out loud was really hard, um, I can speak a little bit to my experience. Um, when I was sexually assaulted, I was very young. I was probably six or seven years old. Um, and it was something that I pushed down. Um, I'd, I'd read a book over the summer, though. It was uh, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've heard it. Yeah. And I did a lot of reflecting and a lot of thinking. And it was the first time that I really acknowledged that I was a survivor. Um, and so for me, my my journey and my healing process has been pretty newfound. And I feel like being able to pitch and being able to build a solution that's helping people who were in my shoes or who are in my shoes where I was, where I, I didn't feel comfortable coming forward. I didn't feel comfortable telling my story. I think that has been one of the most empowering experiences. Um, and, and like I said, not without its challenges, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been something I've grown more and more comfortable with and I'm, uh, I'm grateful to the process. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's something that takes a lot. And I know it is to, to speak to the fact that you are a man, um, talking to, um, to these challenges, it's highly stigmatized and they're just so many men have gone through it. Uh, and, and people who identify as men have gone through it and they, they just don't, talk about it, um, which puts you in a position to like feel this shame. Um, cause if you feel alone and you feel like no one else has been through it, um, that it's just, it just is much, much harder to kind of get through the feelings. Yeah, and, and men experience sexual violence, not quite at the rate that women experience mm -hmm. it, but I believe it's, it's one in one in 13 men or one in 10 men experience sexual violence at some mm -hmm. point in their life which is, again, an astronomically high number. And mm -hmm. I, I know for me talking about it, it's something where, again, men don't really talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a stigmatized issue for everybody, but I think that's been something that's been especially challenging because it's, it's uncommon for, for men to be vulnerable in that way. So, but again, 
of being vulnerable in that way, my hope is that I can tell the story and then other people can feel comfortable coming forward, telling their stories. I, I think the most rewarding experience of this process so far, building this project and building this startup has been hearing other people tell their stories, people who maybe weren't comfortable sharing their stories, but after hearing me stand in front of, you know, 50 people telling my story, they walk up to me and they say, Hey, I've, I've experienced this. And, and that makes me feel really good knowing, you know, we're not alone here. Um, mm-hmm. That we've, you know, there's so many people that have experienced sexual violence and so many people who don't feel comfortable talking about it. And so just by, by getting out in the limelight, I'm a survivor. I think that's, it's powerful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And exactly what, um, one of our speakers at the summit, um, who also was on the podcast last week, Ariana, the founder of Stigma, she spoke to this exact kind of moment too, where um, you sort of, you're living with something and you hear someone else share that exact same moment. There's, it's like jumping off a cliff to, to be the person to say it first, but then someone else kind of comes comes to you and says like, I mean, to quote a movement like me too, but also also like, yes, me too, uh, about whatever you're going through, or I can relate, or I can empathize. Um, so it is really empowering to sort of have these conversations. Yeah. And I, I don't think that our society is at a point where if you were to stand in front of a crowd and say, raise your hand if you know somebody, or if you've personally experienced sexual violence, people would honestly raise their hand. But that number, I mean, in talking to people, I think it's everybody and yeah. close to everybody everybody knows somebody or knows somebody who knows somebody who's experienced sexual violence. And it's just about creating a culture of openness. Um, And that's another thing that I think, well, I hope to accomplish in in building this. And and I know that we all at my team hope to accomplish. Yeah. And, and I've loved kind of watching you grow it and pilot it. Um, And you're, as you mentioned, you're piloting it at your first school, um, partnering with the title nine program. And then we've talked a bit about like how you plan to get out to schools, to colleges after that. Um, do you want to speak to any any of those plans? Yeah, absolutely. So we're definitely going to be scaling geographically. So going state by state, just because, and I'm sure this is obvious when you think about it, there's a lot of regulations on um, different kinds of sexual violence software. So when a rape crisis center wants to use a software, there's an approval process for the state of Illinois. um, And I'm sure that there's similar approval processes in other states. Um, So we're definitely doing it state by state. And then we've also been partnering with some nonprofits, working with some nonprofits. Um, Our goal with um, Resilience, who uh, does rape crisis um, for the Chicagoland area, they are a confidential advisor at IIT. So right now, if you pick up the phone as a student, you can call a phone number and they'll, they'll give you advice and consultation on what you can do next. Um, and they do that at IIT as well as a few other schools. And so our goal is to build out this program with them and kind of scale with their schools. But in the mm-hmm. long term, um, you know, again, obviously the goal is to go national so we can help as many people as possible. Yeah. And I know we've talked a little bit about some of the stats, but are there any other um, stats you've kind of heard or learned or any other sort of scientific um, discoveries you've made as you've been sort of digging into the platform that you're building or building this? As far as discoveries that we've made, there's there's not any yet, but we are working on that right now. So it's really important for us, and I talked about this in my pitch, that we take the right steps before we pilot because there's going to be very real consequences if we get this right or if we get this wrong. And so um, all of us, uh, the, the co-founding team, 
or accept to a fellowship program at IIT to conduct research on human-computer interaction, um, which is obviously it's it's how people interact with different technology. Mm-hmm. And so the the long-term goal is to build a a CBPR board, community-based participatory research, so we get a diverse body of stakeholders to. Um, help us come up with interview questions that we can ask survivors so that way um, you know this is being driven by the input of dozens of survivors that is the long-term goal yeah and one of our judges um, Dr. Alfie was excited to hear that I know she was saying so Dr. Alfie has done a lot of research and she was saying research can be slow as well. Um, but she also called out something that uh, that I loved about what you're doing with your community research, that it brings in the inputs of intersectional realities. Um, people who uh, maybe are on the BIPOC spectrum or folks who are LGBTQ, etc. Um, so as you kind of look at that, like I know the questions that we would maybe ask a survivor um, with our identities would be different than someone else. And, and I think that's what's really important about this community research you're doing. Yes, bringing in people of all different backgrounds is going to be really critical and really important because we're building a tool for survivors. And while I'm a survivor and many people on my team are, um, that doesn't mean that we hold the opinions of every survivor, especially at the age I experienced my assault. Um, I, I think very different experience from what, say, somebody as a college student might experience who is sexually assaulted. So Again, it's it's about bringing in people with different life backgrounds, different perspectives, you know, different people, of different ethnicities, people of different sexual orientations. So that way we're really getting the full spectrum of opinions uh, involved in the development of our software and down to little things, down to the color scheme. What's a color scheme that's going to make somebody feel comfortable when they're going through the process of accessing recovery resources? I mean, it's very traumatizing and painful experience so yeah it's it's definitely not something you want to build with that like break stuff mentality yeah yeah <laughs> the, the growth grow fast and break things it's uh it's really dangerous and there are a lot of mental health and behavioral health startups who have practiced that um mm-hmm. a lot of startups for example that provide adhd medication i was just reading an article about how there's been a huge uptick in the number of ADHD prescriptions because of some startups that are giving out these prescriptions with 30-minute sessions. So, you know, there's not proper time. And, and I talked with, uh, with some of my professors about this as well, some professors of psychology, and they said that that's one of the really dangerous things with behavioral health is when people get too focused on growth that they're not building a product that serves the very vulnerable demographic that they're working with. And sexual violence survivors are among the most vulnerable demographics. So making sure that we're taking those right steps, that we're growing slow and then growing fast, that's what we really want to do. And it's one of the luxuries of being in college. So I can take my time and be really Mm -hmm. careful about growing this because I got another three years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and I, you know, want to take full advantage of that because if we can build something that really helps survivors, then it's worth all my time. But if we build something that is harmful to survivors, not worth any of my time. And so that is something that I think is axiomatic. Yeah. Um, Ryan, is there anything else that you want listeners to know about Receptify? Any, anything else um, you want to ask listeners for help about? 
if you have any feedback at all, any thoughts about how you think that we could build a better solution for survivors, always really eager to hear feedback. It doesn't matter who you are, um, you know, what your background is, because everybody's perspective is important in building something like this. We're trying to build something to support communities and community feedback is absolutely essential. So if you do want to email me, my email is open. It's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at Receptify.io, R-E-C-E-P-T-I-F-Y.io. Um, and I'm absolutely eager to listen. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes too. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. I have loved watching what you all are building. Wish it wasn't necessary. (laughs) And I think that's how you feel as well. Absolutely. And, you know, probably the first startup to stand in front of anybody and say our goal is that we don't have to exist. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, our society gets to a point where it's not necessary. It's still there if people need it, but it's really not necessary. That's, that's our long-term goal. Um, and, you know, march towards that slowly but surely. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of We Got Goals and a SweatLife.com production. Thanks to Ryan Deffitt for editing, to Ryan Barayuga for the video content creation, and to all of you, our listeners. Make sure you subscribe to We Got Goals wherever you get your podcast. That's hashtag We Got Goals anywhere you get your podcast and leave us a rating or a review. We love that stuff. Um, a special thanks to Receptify and to our guest, Ryan Manthe. 